Kevin O'Brien here, the FF Engineer. I host the Fantasy Football Engineering Podcast, where I bring on a guest each week to discuss a wide range of topics, all to apply practical knowledge in order to design, research, build, and maintain your dynasty rosters for now and beyond. I borrow brilliance from each guest and share how I leverage many different areas of expertise to accomplish a common goal of competing all year round. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. When the mask's not adding up, you said I'm checking it Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. I write for Dynasty League Football, DLF, it's sometimes called. This is, in fact, a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Uh, yeah, some other stuff, I'm sure. Um, yeah, welcome back. Welcome in. Thanks for checking us out. If it's your first time, if it's not your first time, you're my hero, basically. Um, so deep, deep, deep into rookie season. Um, I've been working on rookie ranks. They're up on Patreon. I'm actually making notes, which hopefully should help me out remembering why I like and don't like players. Um, as I go for the rookie stats, I'm almost ready to start arguing uh, with with some with some tape grinders and some nerds. Um, lo- lots of controversial players, I think, in this class. It should be fun, but I don't actually want to talk about my rookie ranks and that's not just because i'm like hey go check out my patreon but of course yeah sure i want you i want you a dollar i guess because that would mean you know i could buy food and stuff i guess i don't know it's fine um but i want to talk to you mainly about where my head's at and my head is at an ache right now it's a head ache i should coin that term um because I wanted to come at you today, I knew the subject, and the reason this podcast is late, I know there's always a reason, and it's always late, but the reason this particular one is late is because uh, I suck. Also, um, I knew what I wanted to talk about this week, and I keep, I didn't have the answer. And I came up with a bunch of great answers, in fact, like a whole strategy, it's got like a uh, like a slogany thing, and it, like seriously, I could sell it, but it's not true. I don't think. I mean, it's one of those things that we can say is a strategy, but it isn't a strategy because it's not well defined, and it would be hard to call me out on it as an overall strategy, and yet so I could get away with it. But it's not true. I wanted to say something like running backs a volume position, so trade down to get running backs, trade up to get wide receivers. And on the face, in rookie dress specifically, and on the face of it, it works, except for the fact it doesn't work. So I want to explain to you, other than the ache, where my head's at, thinking about rookie dress in general. And if you're already bored, thanks for checking it out. But I think there's some interesting stuff just to frame what rookie dress are in Dynasty or a way of going about them. Now... For regular leagues, um, I'm starting to get ready to make you know dynasty content. How I think is a an how to play essentially, um, content for YouTube's, um, but rookie drafts are this just this misnomer of I don't know where to go with them. And the real reason is I think the best way to play them is 
let's define it difference between a strategy and a tactic, right? The tactic is to trade up to get your players in rookie drafts. Now, that's almost the polar opposite of what most of us are trying to do in startup drafts or overall drafts. But where we're dynasty and we don't get many of those in a particular dynasty league, you've got to figure out what to do with the only source of replenishable capital in a dynasty league. And strategy-wise, I've always felt, and it, I still think I can justify the strategy of seeing value as draft picks as nothing but liquid value the the currency of dynasty and what you do with value is you spend it in terms of it having you know value (laughs) on trying to get wins now the timing of that is difficult and the way to play it depends on your team your league and your league mates um and that's what i want to break down more how I see it as a strategy overall for Dynasty over the offseason when I get to NFL content. But rookie drafts are difficult because they still, they're best played, I think, as player evaluation. And that's not a value move. That's a stand on a hill and go pay for your guy kind of a move, which is the opposite of the way I think is the best pathway to increasing our overall probability of winning i guess we could call it or increasing our chances of scoring more points um in dynasty in general and so it occupies this weird space in my head where i i prefer to see it as value but i tend to spend that value on trying to get points but it's also the only source of replenishable value so what what do i do with it and it's not trade down to get running backs and trade up to get wide receivers because while the market isn't great and there are inefficiencies we can take advantage of, rookie drafts in and of themselves are by their nature different than startup drafts. There's a lot more variance and variability in the results and the expected outcome of rookie picks because rookies kind of suck. So let me just start from the beginning here. Let's talk about hits. You know, what can we expect from an individual rookie class? Well, on the whole, we get about 9 to 10 players in every every rookie class creating the kind of dynasty assets you want that have significant amounts of value. Now, that's not in-season value. That's not Miles Gaskin. That's not even Chris Carson, frankly. But if we define those players as having two seasons above the hit rate, hit rate threshold, so two seasons in the top 24 for running back and wide receiver. I know that's low for running back, but bear with me. Um, one season uh, with the top 12 season for tight end and one for quarterback in the top 12 as well. Then we get about, on average, since 2003, nine to 10 players from every rookie draft creating that kind of value. And that's relatively rare when you, and, and that should put in perspective how rare hits are, the type of hits we're really looking for in Dynasty drafts, when you consider that the on the low end, we're getting, f- well, five players in 2019, but that's a little unfair because they yet to play the third season, and nine players, and on the upside, we're getting 14 players across all positions. And remember, as I know you do painfully, some of those players aren't even really first or second round picks. And I come across quite a lot the attitude and it's easy to fall into of just trade down into the second round because we keep finding guys like Stefan Diggs early in the second round if I remember right and T.Y. Hilton or there's an Antonio Gibson or more recently um, or a Terry McClellan a year or two ago but the thing is that's kind of hubris and I'm sure there's a fancy data term to express it 
but you're picking the nuggets out of the trash when you look back and say, look at all these good players coming from the second round. If you bet on a second round player, if you put all your value in second round picks, for example, you do get those nuggets. But on the whole, you're much more likely to get Kalen Balage. hate to say it. In fact, the majority of the time, you're going to get trash, not nuggets. That's why they're nuggets. And so if you do that going forward, it's kind of hubris to expect you're going to hit on those nuggets. But rookie drafts do revolve around this player evaluation content, which is where you do have to stand on your hill and go get your guy. But players with high hit rates from high conferences and high draft capital go very early in drafts, and they're much more likely to hit. It's kind of stark, especially as a guy who bets heavily on undrafted free agents and fourth round or later picks. If you go back through the last few classes, the ones that we still want from those classes are high draft capital from the SEC West, who were drafted in the first four picks of your rookie draft, unless you're in a terrible league, find a better one because competition's fun. You know? So... It operates different than Dynasty Drafts, where we know more about the players, we know more about repeatability. Having said that, something that I'm tilting over rather remarkably that I started digging into, actually as a break to try and get my head out of rookie drafts, because I kept ending up in circular reasoning while trying to plan this particular episode, a rare one that I actually, you know, knew what I wanted to talk about, I was recently looking at the repeatability of seasons, so players that finish within a certain position rank one year and then finish within that certain position rank the following year. Now, something I know from investigating Dynasty ADP in general is that more players come from outside the top 36 and finish inside the top 12 or the top 5 or the top 24, no matter what rank you want to look at, at running back than any other position, which means no matter how highly you draft the top 24 running backs in your Dynasty startup draft, you're probably just burning capital because more of those players come from outside the top 36 and inside the top 24. So you're not targeting running backs better by continuing to spend more and more draft capital on this smaller hit rate group inside the top 24. Now, the market is fairly efficient and has grown to be increasingly efficient over the years, so I understand the inclination of not wanting to be outpicked, but that's why startup drafts and, you know, standard league management tends to revolve more around value than player evaluation because we get it more wrong there. But something I noticed when looking back over the repeatability of seasons, the margins have always been slightly smaller than really comfortable with whenever this is brought up. Because I'm very much on the hill of wide receivers who produce are more likely to repeat, they get less injured, la 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 la, all that kind of stuff. But since 2009 to 2020, yeah, 24 wide receivers have repeated inside the top three, year of year to year plus one, essentially. And only 21 running backs have repeated in the top three. That's also a similar margin inside the top five. We know the top five running backs rarely repeat, rarely get two players inside the top five at running back actually being top five running backs the following seasons. Now, some of that experience is what we had in 2020, where Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey are no less talented, no less young, no less capable of being top five running backs in 2021. That's probably a note, because I've seen Saquon Barkley's ADP drop, by the way, just a little bit, but still worth noting. But wide receiver hits at a 30% rate, which essentially means we get three versus two. That, you know what I mean? That's, That's a hard hill to stand on as a big edge. It's an edge, 
but is it a big edge? And when I expand to the top 12, they're pretty much equal. That really shocked me. I expected this to continue, but it didn't. Inside the top 12, running backs actually since two, between 2009 and 2020 have repeated the following season inside the top 12 at 40% uh, rate. Wide receivers, 38% rate. Now that's less than one whole player. So pretty much it's a wash. They're repeating at the same level inside the top 12. But again, that's almost dynamically opposed to a gem or my general conception of the repeatability of wide receiver. Inside the top 24, also kind of equal, despite the fact that I know, based on my research on DLF ADP, that more are likely to come in to those draft ranges from outside those draft ranges in terms of overall startup ADP. Repeatability, players who are produced at running back, are pretty much as likely to repeat that level of performance the following year as wide receivers. Now, we do have an age bias here. Now, again, we're talking about averages, and I strongly advise you take career arc with a grain of salt. I do enjoy productive struggle. I was introduced by Ryan McDowell when taking to logical conclusions like entities like, uh, what were they called? Under the Helmet did. They expose themselves to be somewhat lacking in consistent logic when you consistently need great draft classes to continue to improve your roster and there's relatively no opportunity to go and get running backs which really need to win so taking to its logical extreme it at some point you have to buy in to at least a season and spend on running backs bleeding wide receivers or tight ends or quarterbacks in a super flex to do it and so yeah there's that but there is an age bias overall on average. For example, players in the top three, top five, top 12, no matter what you want to look at at running back, are at significantly lower ages, uh, 24, 25, and also 25 on average inside the top three, five, and 12, whereas wide receivers tend to be about 27 years on average. Put that in more stark terms, you get a Justin Jefferson in the top five, and everyone else is middle of the career, peak production window, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, so on and so forth, like we experienced in 2020. That's pretty standard. Now, value-wise, that's a complete other flip. Justin Jefferson has more value than everyone else in the top five from last season, but value is just something we can spend to get more Keenan Allens, or, more likely, more... David Montgomery's, although I'd have a hard time targeting him, so I'm just going to go ahead and say not David Montgomery's, and instead someone like Jonathan Taylor. So, there is an age bias, and um, wide receivers are more likely to produce, if they've produced before, slightly in different uh, position rank rates, especially because of injury rates, essentially, which is the whole crux of the zero RB argument, but the margins are a lot slighter if you look over a significant sample size and I think 10 years is fairly significant then we like to think it's not as much of an edge inside the top 12 now true we want top five running backs that's where you win and the fact that they repeat a lower rate is where the edge comes from a wide receiver but top five wide receivers can help but they're not what we describe as the winning feature of dynasty because of the variability in week-to-week -week scoring that you really don't suffer from if a running back consistently gets volume every week and is in the top five this, you know this, I don't have to go into it too far. If you listen to this, you know the experience of playing fantasy football way too much for me to teach you to suck eggs. Now, so I broke this down another way, and I was looking at 
the number of players with at least two top 24 seasons in the same date range since 2009 to 2020. And there are actually 23 wide receivers who have two or more top 24 seasons between 2009 and 2020. But there are also 23 running backs, all younger because of their age average, fallacy the average, um, age curve um, at the different positions. And wide receiver does win out. 23 wide receivers essentially count for 55% of top 24 seasons. Running back, 23 running backs with two or more top 24 seasons account for about 50% um, of all top 12 seasons, sorry, not top 24, um, in the last 10 years. So wide receiver still does win, but again, it's the same number. It's just such a marginal edge to occupy such a large part of my understanding of Dynasty. Now, does that mean I'm drastically changing my general strategy of playing dice? No, no. But I do think it's worth noting that the edge is slightly less, especially as the market changes. And I've been talking about this recently on podcasts and people are getting smarter and smarter about wanting running backs on the come up and wide receivers on the come down. Essentially, you want 27-year-old wide receivers and you want 24-year-old running backs, to put it in another stark term that I just used to kind of uh, elucidate, illuminate, whatever, um, on the basic trend I've been having. People generally know that. And so trading for Jonathan Taylor with a David Montgomery is tough. And you have to give up significant value to get that buy-in. And in the off-season, it's hard to spend that value since we're really not starting rosters right now. Now is when we're trying to recoup value so we can spend it in season if we know we're in competition, and we're knowing contention, sorry, to try and win that season depending on how you've built your team, obviously. So, what's all all that mean, Pete? I don't know. And that's why this episode has taken me so long. I don't know really how to frame rookie drafts as opposed to startup drafts. Like, I'm pretty, I feel like I've got a pretty solid overarching strategy and and an understanding of tactics. And to outline them for you, just in case it's not clear, because I know I have a tendency to ramble on, so let me frame it for you here. And, and again, let's do s- strategy and tactic, right? For startup drafts, my general strategy is to play the value. I trade down and try to acquire more capital. That's both in terms of youth and young wide receivers, but it's also in terms of more picks in a range where players have less value but are more likely to repeat, specifically at wide receiver and at tight end and at quarterback, and the hope that I can capture, in a zero-RB fashion, the Miles Gaskins, the the Kareem Hunts of the world, in the 6th, 7th, 8th kind of rounds. So that's strategy and tactic. In rookie drafts, where they operate as an entirely different animal, and they function much more, I think the best way to approach them is an element of player evaluation over value, what do we call value acquisition, I guess, work almost the exact opposite way. In rookie drafts, I want to trade up to get the player that I think is the most likely to either increase in value, like a Justin Jefferson, a CD Lamb would have been the ideal target in this draft, even though CD uh, Justin Jefferson hit harder. I think CD Lamb was at the top of most boards. Nikhil Harry was once in that space, by the way. W- worth wondering if player evaluation is worth spending capital on instead of using it to rejuvenate your roster through player trades, but still which generally I don't. Um, so the tactic is to trade up for my players, and the overall strategy in rookie drafts is to see rookie value at all as that. I'm more looking to trade picks and acquire players and bolster my roster or trade into future draft capital 
to expand my reach of value, especially where I'm likely to spend value in season to try and secure a win unless my team's struggling and then you go the opposite way. And so you've got this reverse of the strategy and the tactic. In a rookie draft, I'm trading up to get the players I think are the best bets because it's based on player evaluation, for me at least. That's the way I see it, based on just looking over the past drafts and our hit rates and where they come from and the fact they want running backs on the come up. And rookie drafts are really a great place, as Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies constantly tells us, to aim for running backs. Wait, does he say it the opposite way? i got to get Zach back on here really do uh but yeah he drafts wide receivers and trades for running backs is i believe his mantra so the opposite of what i was just about to say so anyway uh rookie drafts i trade up for the players i want and the strategy however is not to have to make those picks but in fact to trade them for more value and hopefully points in some form or another that i can use that next season whereas in Overall startup dress to start the Dynasty League, I more have the opposite strategy, which is not to see it as player evaluation. I think David Montgomery, this is a year for, for David Montgomery and the undrafted free agent James Robinson. Instead, I'm trading down um, to acquire more value and picks in uh, a rougher Dynasty value window with large age, which may well, uh, which are just as likely to produce me actual points but definitely have a more declining aspect in terms of their overall value over the coming years. So I hope I don't know if I said that even more succinctly, but yeah, I reverse the strategy and the tactic when I'm in rookie drafts versus dynasty drafts. That's, I think, where my head is at overall when approaching this rookie season and looking at the 2021 class. Rookie drafts are coming, and so I'm looking for players... And I have argued before that players like Mims and J.J. Arzega-Whiteside and even uh, some others, for that matter, whose names skip me right now, I like them because they fall to a place in the draft where I don't have to reach and I don't have to go down. But as I mentioned last season, one of the adjustments I've made is making sure to acquire players I think are of falling value, but I think are really in that top tier, such as an A.J. Brown, who only had a 20% breakout age and not a 30% breakout age. And so some people... Uh, sorry, T. Higgins, so some people had a nasty taste in their mouth, and I, I guess he also didn't show up well on film. Ha, ha, ha. Everyone got it wrong, but us, yes, <laughs> is the ultimate goal. So, you can look for value opportunities, but ultimately I'm looking to acquire the players I think are actually the best bets through player evaluation as I look at the 2021 class. See, this is where I'd have a conclusion or some sign of summation or some rule that I've come up with, but I can't really justify a strategy outside of the basic understanding uh, uh, that everyone has in Dynasty, which is you go get your guys in rookie drafts, or you treat it as a strategy, as overall value, looking to trade out into 2022 picks and acquire extra adding to your value while also adding to your points potential in 2021 without having to make that pick. But as we all know, saying trade the pick is a lot easier to say than it is to do all the time. And so I typically go the opposite way. And I've often find myself leaning on my tactics specifically for a rookie draft, which is to trade up for the players that I specifically want. All right. 
That, and that's where I'm at. Like, I would love to say, actually, what we can actually do now is recognize that running back is a volume position, and therefore you want as many as possible. So if I'm drafting in a rookie draft, and I'm looking to add my, from, to my points potential, I will heavily target running back and trade back as far as I can in rookie drafts, just like I would a startup draft, to increase my chances because I'm increasing the number of shots I'm taking. But I generally don't think, though can't prove... That works in rookie drafts because there's just too few players. Betting that I'm going to hit Antonio Gibson, who I was pretty much mediocre slash out on on this class, or James Robinson, who really wasn't on my radar, uh, to be honest with you guys, as an undrafted free agent truther and late round capital kind of a guy, like he was not on my radar. That's much more, that's much easier to adjust for, especially at running back in season, which is you just believe in the production and spend on it to try and get secure wins by spending value in season but we're talking about rookie dress here and I can't do that on players that aren't showing up because they're not going to get draft capital because they're not in the top of anyone's list because like drafting running backs more not more but fairly often the players we want are going to come out of nowhere instead of inside our, our best sleeper ranks as it were so yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where my head's at. I'm looking at 2021, and now I guess I've solidified my thinking on rookie drafts, which is that I like getting Mims late in drafts. I like getting J.J. Osega-Whiteside late in drafts. I've I learned enough over the last few years to know not to reach on them. And if I had an early pick, it was generally better to go running back because they produce earlier, more often, and you can trade them out and uh, apply standard dynasty theory in, into the actual seasonal play. But if you've got the highest tier of hit at wide receiver and knows uh, as an, just a random moniker, Saquon Barkley in the class, you know, a top tier elite prospect, then it's okay to draft Justin Jefferson over DeAndre Swift. I was very comfortable doing that this year. I wouldn't have, I would have been pushed to take either him or CD Lamb over just Jonathan Taylor or Clyde Ebersolaire. And one of those would have probably wouldn't have worked out, even though I do have some positive arguments for Clyde Edwards Lair. So how can I round this out? That's where I'm at. <laughs> I don't know what the conclusion is here, except for looking at 2021, my intention is to either trade up for the players that I like the most. I really can't, I mean, yeah, I have ranks, but I really can't say who that's going to be without seeing draft capital. I would love to show Rashad Bateman, but if, like the Big Ten West tends to do, or has tended to do over the last few years, well, since the inception of the Big Ten West, not get draft capital, then it's going to be hard to do that. Outside of that, you've got Rondell Moore, who played one season, and we've got I've got a very big, actually, first tier of wide receivers in this class, and a very small one at running back. Now, one of my uh, patrons in, in our Discord actually suggests that means he wants to trade up for running back, which is what got me thinking about this whole thing. I think he's overall right that he should go target the players that he wants and trade up to get them, but you don't spend extra capital to go get your guy if they're going to fall to you within your range. But, in fact... Despite the fact that I'm on player evaluation, team player evaluation and rookie drafts, I don't think it works that way. I don't think playing rookie drafts as in I'm going to go get my sleeper is the best idea. I think it is better to let them fall into your lap at good value if they happen to turn up because sleepers are more often J.J. Osega-Whiteside than they are T.Y. Hilton and Stefan Diggs. 
but it's a very good idea to trade up for that top tier of prospects that you like, but is not undervalued, such as C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, most recent draft, even J.K. Dobbins, who disappointed, Cam Akers, who disappointed somewhat, Swift, who disappointed, but everyone doesn't think he disappointed, uh, or Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who both at least met certain production thresholds in their first year. So you trade up for that top tier, not your player evaluation, even though I play rookie drafts as player evaluation. Did I just contradict myself? I think I've got a solid plan. I think I'm at, I'm there. All right. I wanted to try to walk you through where my head's at with trying to fit rookie drafts into my overall strategy for playing Dynasty. Tactics can vary um, in the individual leagues and with individual players. But the strategy, that's how I'm fitting in rookie drafts. You can fit them in how you like, but that's where my hat... Because I really can't justify that because of the variability of rookie drafts. It doesn't... It conforms, but it doesn't hold up perfectly when you look at percentages and hit rates over the years, for example. So, yeah, that's just my opinion on it, guys. So, what do I want to leave you with that you actually have some value? I do have something I wanted to drop uh, in your ear that might actually be more than just me rambling, just in case that didn't spark any interest, entertainment, or anything else for you. One, did you know the tight end one has actually repeated as the tight end one 54% of the time in the last 10 years? Well, as running these numbers, I actually did them in individual position ranks. Most of that is Travis Kelsey and Antonio Gibson. And once uh, Aaron uh, Tony Gonzalez did it twice, back-to-back years as a tight end one. But still, it's a pretty fun stat to note. But that's not what I was actually going to do. I'm trying to create a better way or find a better way of targeting running backs, not that are on the come up, but there's always a David Montgomery, not always a David Montgomery, but there's a lot of running backs that jump into the top 12, whether it's through injury or anything else, outside of the tier that's strongly being targeted already, which is, again, young running backs on the come up with good profiles, because that edge is dwindling if not gone in dynasty already so what i was looking at is players who got greater than expected volume and were efficient on it so using the scott barrett method typically of using expected points to find running backs that are more likely to get exceptional top 12 volume the following season as well because they were also good in it because as blair andrews has shown efficiency tends to have a strong correlation to maintaining or increasing value even for rookies But I was also adding a category of running backs who got less than expected volume in terms of expected points compared to the average for their positional rank over the last, uh, I think I used a a 10-year average, but were actually more efficient on it. So in other words, their expected points, their volume, was lower than most running backs finishing in that position rank, but they actually got more points per game than average for that position rank. And so in, in a way, it's kind of a reverse Scott Barrett. Instead of looking for running backs that got volume and were good with it and therefore more likely to maintain that, I was looking for running backs that... What's the word? Damn, I had the word in my head, I swear to God. They overachieved with the volume they were being given using the same logic that teams can identify players who are getting more than they were actually... Uh, could have expected from their players and therefore more likely to give them more values kind of merging Blair Andrews and Scott Barrett together in some sort of unholy nerd merger that would take over the fantasy world and literally slaughter us all in fantasy dress that's the idea now since 2009 running backs who have one or the other of those indicators 
that I just described. Don't make me do it again because that was very nerdy. Have hit around. Uh, I actually I did the calculation. Where was it? It was um about sixty two percent of the time. So sixty two percent of players who ended up on this list actually finished in the top twelve. And it actually gets a little better if you only look at players who have played a full season the following year. Now bear in mind this is a list that Kenyon Drake actually made last year and finishes as running back 15 this year so a fairly solid floor but he was someone I was arguing against this last season and I kind of count as a win so I do think player evaluation can play a role in lists like this but I thought it was pretty interesting because on a season by season basis we really only get four or five players between four and eight really actually making this kind of list with these two different identifiers on them so who fit the description in 2020 now, I will say I'm interested in other players that have shown up from some of my other researchers as James Robinson, who I think is going to be undervalued because of his draft capital. I'm also on team Clyde Abbasalea and Miles Sanders at the right value window, uh, just because I, I think they had a lot a lot of receiving work and there still might be some upside there. But the players on this list, I actually think um, might offer more justifiable targets for higher upside just because I've actually trapped the indicators on them. So the players on that list that fit the des- either description in 2020 were Dalvin Cook. Really don't think his value is declining, but it's interesting that he showed up. He's very likely to continue his performance despite entering that window of dynasty running backs that we sometimes fear. Nick Chubb, who got Kareem hunted this year, it may well be some sour taste, especially since he's spiraling towards second contract season as well, which I'm not necessarily afraid of since I'm always on Team Old Guy. Speaking of Team Old Guy, there's also David Johnson, who I'm just a really big fan of as a player in general and a person, um, and fits his description of being uh, efficient with good volume for his positional rank in 2020. The other two players are like on my home team, which is Miles Gaston and Austin Eckler. Team undrafted free agent, Let, let's go, I guess. Now, I don't know what situations 2021 is going to bring. I tend to find a lot of value in under-trusting how well I can predict the future, which means there is a lot of variance for players with lower draft capital, like Miles Gaskin and Austin Eckler, but they are also probably the lowest value players on this list right now. And again, second round picks hit a lot less often than running backs who have always been already been good in the NFL. I, I think there might be decent targets, but, you know, I'm a wide receiver guy, I guess. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm getting out of here. That at least added some value if you don't like the other stuff. Um, and, yeah, good luck. Check, check me out on places and things. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week. Yeah. Bye. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so... Jake on the table when they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, though Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, though
repeating no more, it's a place of analytical.